All right, uh, this morning we are back in Acts, Acts chapter 27, after taking several weeks off from our story of the Apostle Paul. So today in our text we rejoin the Apostle Paul, who is being held under house arrest in the Roman governor's residence in Caesarea. He is awaiting his being sent to Rome to appeal his arrest before the Roman emperor's representative. As we have already learned, Paul had returned to Jerusalem after his third missionary trip, and he brought with him representatives from churches that he had planted around the empire. And those representatives brought benevolence offerings with them that they had collected in their churches. Offerings to help the Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea. And while Paul was visiting the temple in Jerusalem, he was falsely accused of bringing his Gentile friends into an area of the temple mount that was reserved only for Jews. This resulted in a riot breaking out as men attempted to beat Paul to death. But God rescued him through the Roman soldiers who were stationed there overlooking the Temple Mount. And he was taken into custody by them. And God used Paul's arrest to give Paul the opportunity to testify before the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that Jesus had appeared to Paul. He had the opportunity three times to testify to this before the Jewish leaders. Then, after a plot to murder Paul was uncovered, he was transferred to the governor's residence in Caesarea, due to his being a Roman citizen. In God's providence, Paul was a official Roman citizen, and that gave him great protection and great um, privileges that were not awarded to others, especially prisoners. So he had certain rights and certain privileges And so Paul was held in captivity there for two years. But again, during that time, God gave him the opportunity to share the gospel with countless guards, with two Roman governors, and even with a king. God had a plan for the Apostle Paul that included facing some trials and some tribulations, and some storms in his life. But God had a plan, and he would deliver Paul, and he would use him for his glory. He would deliver Paul through the storms. In our text for today, we're going to read Luke's account of a great storm that Paul and his friends had to face on their way to Rome. It was a literal storm, a horrific storm. But it can also be symbolic 
of the storms that come into our lives, often for purposes that only God knows. And we can be assured that God will deliver us through those storms. He doesn't always deliver us out of the storms. Often he delivers us through the storms. Amen? So the big idea this morning is this. Our God has a plan for us to glorify him as he takes us through the storms in this life. Oftentimes, when things are going well, we persuade ourselves that we are exempt from storms or that they will not affect us. But we are not, and they will. Then the question will be, are you anchored to the rock? Do you trust the one who is able to deliver you through the storm. Paul's experience sets an example for us to follow. So our chapter for today contains a rare glimpse into a part of ancient life that we just don't find anywhere else. It is Luke's eyewitness account of their attempted voyage by sea from Caesarea to Rome. And it was interrupted by a severe storm and ended with a shipwreck on the island of Malta. So, if you're able, I'd like you to stand for the reading of the first few verses of our text. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adametrian, which is about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Sindus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. Some words there that are not easy to pronounce. Did the best I could. So here we see the voyage begins. Paul had appealed to Rome, and so to Rome he would be sent, along with some other prisoners. Now, as I said earlier, Paul, being a Roman citizen, he would not have been confined with the other prisoners below decks. He and his friends, Luke and Aristarchus, 
would have the freedom to move about while on board the ship. A Roman centurion was put in charge of the prisoners and booked passage for them on a smaller ship traveling up the coast of Asia, modern-day Turkey. They had difficulty in making progress at that time of year because the winds were already against them. Remember, these are sailing ships. There was no engine, no other power other than the wind. And when the wind is against you, it's really difficult to make progress. When they finally reached Myra, the centurion found a large Alexandrian grain ship that was bound for Rome, and they transferred to that ship. So the first ship they took was just to go along the coast. It was not large enough to cross the Mediterranean Sea. The Alexandrian grain ship, however, was. And so they transferred to that ship. From there, with great difficulty, they reached the southern coast of the island of Crete and reached the small town of Fair Haven, which if ever there's been a town misnamed, it is that one. It was neither fair nor a good haven. It was a small town with little lodging, and an unimproved harbor with no facilities whereby to dock the ship. Luke tells us in verse 9 that so much time had passed that they were now getting into the very dangerous part of the sailing season. Travel in the open sea of the Mediterranean was considered to be dangerous from mid-September until mid-November at which time all sailing stopped until February. There was no crossing the Mediterranean during the winter. It was not possible. Too dangerous. They would actually just pull the boats out of the water for the rest of of the winter. And so now Luke tells us that the fast was already over, That is the Day of Atonement, so we know it's the 1st of October, or perhaps the middle of October. So they're running out of time to make their crossing. Therefore, they had no hope of reaching Rome until after winter. So they needed a place to stay for the next few months. And Fairhaven was not really a good spot for them. So after having a meeting to discuss their options, they decided to attempt to sail on for another 40 miles to a nicer port called Phoenix, where they could stay for the winter. This was a major port on the south side of of Crete. Paul disagreed. Now, Paul had done some sailing over his three missions trips. In fact, in writing his letter to the Corinthians, he said that he had already been shipwrecked three times. So Paul knew something about the dangers of sailing. It was very, very dangerous at that time. And so Paul warned against them. But those in charge did not listen to him. I mean, think about it. They were seamen. Paul was a Jewish 
Christian preacher, right? And so they did not listen to him. They decided to sail on. So when a gentle south wind began to blow, they decided to take a chance and head towards Phoenix. But look what happens in verse 13. The storm comes upon them. When the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Caudia, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hosting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear. And thus, they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Luke tells us that after they left Fairhaven and traveled a little distance, the storm arrived. This was a powerful northeaster with powerful winds from the north and the east. This is what they feared the most. All they could do was to secure the ship as best as they could and let themselves be blown by the wind. The problem with that is they had no idea where the wind was blowing them. They could not see the sun. They could not see the moon or the stars. They had no way to navigate. No way to know where they were going. So over the next few days, they began to lighten the ship, even jettisoning cargo. Fear set in. And Luke writes that all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Almost everyone on board were without hope at this point. But God. God intervenes to give hope through the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. What an amazing contrast. 
all of those seasoned mariners, all of the passengers, all of the prisoners had completely lost hope. They knew they were headed to their death, to their doom. But this Jewish preacher of Christ tells them, take heart, do not be afraid, there will be no loss of life. Paul's words to them contain several principles by which you and I can take courage and be fearless even in the midst of the storms of this life. We may not be in the midst of a literal storm, but we do experience storms. And sometimes the storms that affect us come most unexpectedly. And sometimes they can be rather fierce. It could be an unexpected health challenge. One day you feel just fine. The next day there's a pain. And then there's a test. And then sometimes a serious diagnosis even a terminal one. There are other storms, of course, the unexpected death of a loved one or a sudden loss of a job or a loss of income or, as we experienced five years ago in the fires, loss of home and everything in it. Whatever form it takes, a storm has descended upon us. How are we to stand up to life's storms? Paul shows us at least four principles that will help us in such times. I want us to look at this. The first is this, that Paul knew that God was with him. Look at verse 24. And he said, excuse me, verse 20. I'm not finding it, I'm sorry. Just a minute. Yes, thank you. 23. I put the wrong number down. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. So his confidence was in the fact that God was there. And he knew it. He knew that God was with him. And that gave him this composure within this storm of life. On this particular occasion, an angel was sent by God to reassure him of God's presence. And that would have been very reassuring. Yet Paul had always been aware of this truth. We see that throughout his life and ministry. As we should be. We should be aware of this truth. Because Jesus told his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And remember in Hebrews 13, 5, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is true of all of us who belong to God. He is with us always. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We know this to be true. 
Amen? Jesus has helped us and at times carried us through the storms of this life. And he always will. Knowing that we are not alone, but he is with us, makes all the difference and gives us a great sense of peace and calm, even in the most difficult of times. Amen? God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so we can face whatever we have to face in this life, knowing we will never be alone. The second principle we see here is that Paul knew that he belonged to God. Look at that same verse. This very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. He knew that God had purchased him. His body, his soul, his life belonged to God. He had been bought with a price. A price that God had paid for him. Just as we said earlier, God the Father had sent God the Son to pay that price, the penalty for Paul's sins, and for all who have been chosen for salvation. We read this in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. Familiar passage. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew what a sinner he was. Remember, before Christ saved him, his mission in life was to destroy Christianity, to imprison or kill the followers of Christ. But God intervened and opened Paul's eyes to see his need for a Savior And he trusted in Jesus Christ as his justification, as the gift from God who provides redemption from our sins. And so Paul knew that he had been bought with that price. He knew he was God's. Paul also knew that he belonged to God as a child belongs to their heavenly father. Remember, not only had the Father provided the Son to provide salvation for us, but the Father adopts us into His beloved family. He becomes our Father. We become His beloved child. He knows what is best for His children. Amen? We sometimes think we know what is best we have a plaque hanging in our kitchen that says we plan god laughs some of you have seen it some of you've heard that expression before right and it it doesn't mean god's making fun of us 
It just means God's like, really? That's not my plan. God has a plan for his children, doesn't he? God loves us with a steadfast, everlasting love. And listen to me. He knows what is best. We don't. And we can trust that he knows what is best for his children. And he is always at work to give us what is best. He can rescue us from the storms, but that may not be what is best. And if not, he will rescue us through the storms. Amen? He will help us through the storm if that is what is best for us and what brings him the most glory. So Paul knew that he belonged to God. The third principle is that Paul was God's servant. Look again at verse 23. An angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship or serve. Depending on your Bible translation, that word can either be worship or serve. I believe in this case, Paul is talking about the fact that he is in the service of God. And he knew that he was doing the Lord's work. Exactly what he had been told to do. Remember that Jesus had appeared to him and told him that he would go to Rome to testify of Christ there. So he knew that he was on his way to bear witness in Rome. That's where he was going when the storm hit. And since his work on earth was not yet done, he need have no fear. He's God's servant. And if God has said, I'm going to take my servant to Rome, then he knows God is going to take his servant to Rome. And listen to me. If you're serving Jesus Christ in this life, we know that as long as God has work for us to do, God is going to preserve us to do that work. Amen? We are not leaving this planet until our work is done. And once our work for Christ is done, why would we stay? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so, Paul knew that as God's servant, God would be in control of the circumstances. And so Paul trusted God in all circumstances. Look down at verse 25, where Paul makes this statement. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. I have faith in God. Paul knew God. Paul knew that God is trustworthy, faithful, and true. And Paul also knew that God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. No matter what that storm looks like, no matter how severe, 
God who is faithful, God who is true, God who is sovereign, is in control. As Dr. R.C. Sproul used to say, there is not one random molecule in the universe. God is in control. And Paul knows this. So not only did he belong to God and was doing God's work, he also knew God is the one in control of all circumstances. And nothing is impossible for God. Amen? In fact, nothing is difficult for God. Amen? And because of the, because of the faith that Paul had in God's sovereignty, he wrote in his Letter to the Romans, Romans 8.28, these words. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise to all of us who have trusted in Christ. That all things, no matter what they are, somehow, someway, in the providence of God, those are going to work together for our good and for his glory. Paul believed this. That's why he preached it. That's why he wrote it. He wrote it to the church in Rome, but for us as well, as we read it in God's word. And because of the faith that Paul had, and because of what he knew about God, he was able to strengthen and encourage the 275 other people on board that ship. 276 souls on that ship. And Paul, God used Paul to intercede for them. Note this, Paul had been praying for them because the angel informed Paul that, quote, God had granted to you all those who sail with you, close quote. So evidently, Paul had been interceding for those aboard the ship. And God granted that intercession and said, I'm giving you all of their lives. Not one will perish. And God would indeed deliver them through the storm that they had found themselves in. But they were going to lose the ship and the cargo. So that brings us to the shipwreck. Look down at verse 39 with me. Now when it was day, They did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land." After 14 days and nights in this fierce storm, the ship is finally coming near to land. 
Now they have no idea where they are, but they're ready to be back on dry land. After being encouraged by Paul to eat something to strengthen them, they jettison the remaining cargo and they attempt to run the ship ashore on a beach that they see in the distance. This attempt fails when they strike a hidden reef and the ship begins to break up. So it was time to abandon ship and swim for the beach. One last challenge we see in the text there that Paul had to face was that the Roman soldiers decided to just execute the prisoners so they could not escape. That would have been normal Roman procedure. But they were spared by the Roman centurion, the man in charge, the commander, wishing to save Paul's life. Note that. Wishing to save Paul's life. Paul must have had an amazing impact on this centurion. Paul must have made quite an impression upon him. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if that man later became a follower of Christ as a result. So everyone abandoned the ship. Those who could swim swam to the shore. The others held on to pieces of the ship and floated into shore. The danger of the storm had passed. But wait, there are dangers still ahead for Paul and for his companions but also tremendous opportunities to be a witness for Christ. And we'll hear more about that next week. Now, remember our big idea. The big idea was that God has a plan for us to glorify him as he takes us through the storms of this life. Paul glorified God in the midst of this storm, and God delivered him through it. And like the Apostle Paul and his companions, we will face storms in our life. And how we get through them depends upon our relationship to God. All of us who have trusted in Christ for our salvation and have been united with Christ, we know that he is our rock on which we stand. He is our shelter in a time of storm. And he will never let go of us. Amen? He will take us through the storms. And in him, we can have peace. A peace that passes all human understanding, even in the midst of the storms. And let me tell you something. When you do Others take notice, and you have an opportunity to glorify Christ as a result. In him we have peace. We know that he will take us through every storm until he finally takes us all the way home to be with him forever. And in that place, there are no storms. Praise the Lord. However, For those who have not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, they have no rock to cling to, no shelter from the storms of this life, no one to hold them fast and deliver them. They, like those on the ship with Paul, have no real hope in their future, no guarantee of what is to come for them. We need to pray.
that they will come to know Jesus as we do. We need to pray that they will experience his love and grace and know that they are safe in the shelter that he provides. Because we know and we have experienced the fact that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will hold on to us, all who are his. And he will deliver us through the storms of this life. And he will do so for his own glory.